Hey everyone, and welcome back to Skipper. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Jeffrey Goldberg. Jeffrey is the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic Magazine and the recipient of the National Magazine Award for Reporting for his coverage of Islamic terrorism. He is the author of Prisoners, a story of friendship and terror, which was hailed as one of the best books of 2006 by the LA Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Slate, The Progressive, Washingtonian Magazine, and Playboy. Before joining The Atlantic in 2007, Goldberg was a Middle East correspondent and the Washington correspondent for The New Yorker. He was previously a correspondent for The New York Times Magazine and New York Magazine. He's also written for The Jewish Daily Forward and was a columnist for The Jerusalem Post. He has earned many awards, including the Abraham Cahan Prize in Journalism and the Overseas Press Club Award for Best Human Rights Reporting. Quite an impressive introduction, Jeffrey. Excited to have you on the show. How are you? All right, enough, enough. Well, thank you for having me on Skipper. Excited to be here. All right, so first question. I'm curious to know when it was that you decided that journalism was the path that you wanted to go down. Was there a specific moment that you can point to, or was it something that you always knew you wanted to do? I knew it since high school, actually. It's a good question. I just enjoy, I didn't enjoy school. I have ADD, which you'll find out during the course of this interview. And I like a lot of action and movement and controversy and excitement. And so when I joined the high school newspaper, I realized I can, because we live in a democracy or because we sort of live in a democracy or because high schools are kind of democracies, whatever it was, I got to bypass the usual stuff that you have to do and go through. If I had a question about the way the school was run, I would just go to the principal or the school board. And I was 15, 16. They felt because it was a school newspaper and you're supposed to talk to the school newspaper, they felt compelled to to talk to me. And I enjoyed that a lot more than just being another, you know, schmuck in a classroom. And so I got the bug very, very early on. And I thought this is a great profession for people who are nosy, which I'm, I am. Uh, I mean, it's the only, it's one of the only ways that you can be nosy and get paid for it. I, so I like the nosiness possibility. I like the sort of stirring up stuff possibilities. I liked having access or trying to get access to people who otherwise wouldn't talk to me. All of those things actually, I, I felt even in high school, which is interesting, right? Because you wouldn't expect necessarily to have that feeling, but that's what I got. Yeah. And so once you made that decision and... I mean, it wasn't a decision. It wasn't like yeah. I woke up at, when I was 16 and said, I'm going to be a journalist. I just, I liked it more than anything I could think of. But then I got to college and I joined the, high, the the newspaper and that was a serious daily newspaper. And that became all enveloping, all encompassing experience. And, and that's when I realized I was going to school for the newspaper. I wasn't at the newspaper as an extracurricular activity at school. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so in a way you're saying that, you know, it wasn't really a decision. It, it kind of just happened. And once you maybe realized or thought to yourself that 
journalism was essentially this thing that you were going to pursue. What was the first step that you took in making that aspiration a reality? Well, I got, I mean, even back in high school, I went to work for the local weekly newspaper in my town. I got fired from that job. I don't know why, in retrospect. It's funny, the guy who, whatever, I'm not going to bother with this story, but the guy who, the guy who fired me, the guy who owned the newspaper, was really bad at putting out the newspaper. I remember that. And I remember thinking to myself, I know more than he does already. I guess I was arrogant. I mean, I probably still am arrogant, but I, I guess I was in, in some ways arrogant about it. But I, I actually think he, he fired me because he was running out of money. But by the way, it's a good lesson in journalism, a good lesson to get when you're 16 years old, because it's a, it's a hard business. It's not a great money-making business in most cases. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, it's interesting that you ask these, these questions because you can impose back on your life order and thought, you can impose on your own memories a kind of thoughtfulness that didn't actually take place in the, in the time. I didn't think, oh, I have to get a job at the local newspaper because then I'll put it on my college application and my college will take me, which allows me to go work at my college newspaper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I just did it because I wanted to do it. And the easiest thing, I mean, the most satisfying life you can have for yourself or one of the most satisfying ways to have a good life for yourself is to follow your obsessions. You know, just do the thing, do the thing that you want most to be doing in the world and figuring out a way to get somebody else to pay you to do it is pretty, it's a pretty great way of leading your life. And in this case, it was, this guy was paying me to, to participate in, the, in his little, you know, junky newspaper or whatever, but that helped. And, and, then, and then it was just like off to the races. I was just gonna always go for the main thing. And the main thing when I got to college was the big school newspaper. And so, you know, I came in as a freshman, the seniors and juniors seemed like, you know, you know, Greek gods or something, just like so high up on the mountain, I couldn't even see them. But, you know, I knew that in, in three years, I would figure out a way to become editor of the whole newspaper. And I did, and I applied myself to that to the detriment of my education, but I got a better education out of it. Wow, I sound like I'm giving like Chinese fortune cookie little aphorisms to the youngs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're sort of moving down the Jeffrey path here. Yeah, the Jeffrey path. Yeah. And so I know that before you completed your four years at UPenn, you decided to drop out. No, it was, I, I didn't decide to drop out. The decision was made for me by my grades. I became editor okay. of the school newspaper and I got an internship at the Washington Post and, you know, one thing led to another and the, the post wanted me to stay to keep working. And so I was like, yeah, it wasn't much of a choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't think of it as dropping out at the time. I took a leave of absence, but I'm still, yeah. I think I'm now on the 32nd year of my leave of absence. I actually have to go talk. I want to talk to the president of Penn and see if they would just like, give me some credit yeah. for like the things I've done in the last 30 years. They probably won't, right? But yes, yes, I, I left school never to return after I was after I finished my term as editor of the school newspaper. Mm -hmm. And how did you go about making that decision? I mean, I, I'm sure it was a very hard choice to make. Well, it wasn't a tough decision at all. 
because I was getting paid to do journalism. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I could be, I never liked sitting in, especially large classrooms. I don't know, there's something oppositional about me. I would never read the books that professors assigned. I would read other books that were maybe related to the class. I don't know, I just had this thing where I, I didn't like being regimented. And so I couldn't, I couldn't stand school as school. Obviously I wanted to absorb all the information in the world, but I couldn't stand the way it was structured. And also, I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. The reason it was so easy to leave school, apart from the fact that I was like, you know, like terrible at being a student and I was good at being a college journalist. I remember once I had the, I mean, Penn is a big place, as you know, and and the school newspaper is a daily newspaper, 15,000 circulation. I I was running a staff of 200. I I had to go to a class, like a seminar one, one morning, like 11. And at 10 o'clock, I got a call. This is before email, obviously, and texting and everything. Uh, I got a call from the president's secretary, president of university secretary. And I talk to the president all the time. But he said, but she said uh, that the president, he wanted me to come over right away to talk about, I can't remember what the issue was, what the controversy was, but he wanted me to come over right away and, and talk to him, just get coffee. He said, he just wants to come over and get coffee. And I was like, so I'm like 19 or 20. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I can go sit in some classroom with some professor who doesn't even know my name, doesn't care about me, doesn't to him rattle on about something that I could absorb in 10 minutes by reading it. Or I can go have coffee with the president of the university. Like, what, what kind of choice is that? That's no choice. Like, you know, so, so it wasn't, it, it wasn't hard. And listen, this is back in the day when, when people more easily got jobs after leaving school before graduating, I guess. I mean, I think if you're Mark Zuckerberg, no matter what age, or Bill Gates, you just drop out and do your thing. In journalism, it's probably a little harder to do that right now. Harder than it, you know, used to be for, for a person like me. But it wasn't a hard choice. Also, it wasn't that much of a choice because I think Penn at that point probably thought, you know, Jeff, I think, you know, maybe you should, we should they think maybe you should take your talents elsewhere for a while. But is that they say that like the um, NBA draft, I'm going to bring my talents to, <laughs> you know, and, and so it just didn't make any sense to, to stay, especially when I could work at the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. I think I'm not encouraging that. you kids out there to drop out of school, by the way. That was a PSA. <laughs> yeah. So I think I probably know the answer to this question just from the way I'm hearing you speak about it. But if you could go back in time to that decision, would you would you do it again? No, I would probably, I mean, I would probably be more deliberative about it. I mean, like my, my middle-aged self would tell my young self, you know, you can get everything done. Like you don't have to do all the things at once. You don't have to sacrifice this thing for that thing. On the other hand, I wasn't right for school. Like school wasn't right for me. No, I, I mean, I, I might've gone and said to myself, yeah, you know, you can do all these things, just take your time. But on the other hand, I just, uh, you know, that I, I like being at school. I just didn't like the, the classroom part. I was just absorb, I could just absorb information faster and not have to go through some, you know, rote exercise of writing papers that no one would ever read for professors who didn't care. So, so I, I think, I mean, it's not like, I don't, I don't regret anything. I think at a certain point in my life, I might like to go back to school to just for the sake of getting time to read and pick and choose my professors. And, and I, would be, I mean, it would be great fun, I think. 
to do it for the for the real reason you should do it, which is to expand your mind and be exposed to great ideas. I would love to take art survey courses, you know, and just listen to a very smart person talk about paintings. But you know, once you're in the middle of your career, you don't have time for that. So I'll figure it out. So Jeffrey, I think your story is is really cool just because you very much followed your own path, right? I mean, you dropped out of UPenn. You then joined the Israeli Defense Force as a prison guard during the first intifada. And then you came back to the U.S. and really picked up your career as a journalist. So did you ever have a clear vision of what you wanted to do or be in the future? Or was it all improvised? No, I I mean, I didn't want to be an editor. I wanted to be a writer. And that's what I did for 25 years, um, pretty much straight. So, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to, I just wanted to go out and, and be a journalist. And I wanted every day to be different. And I wanted to see things that other people couldn't see or wouldn't be allowed to see or couldn't have access to. And I wanted to talk to people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to talk to and so on, you know, and that was just, and that was just the way it it all worked out. But I, I really come back to this point I was making before that if you just can figure out a way to make a living, make an income off the thing that you're most interested in doing anyway, the thing that you would do for free, even though you should never tell your, your bosses that you would do it for free. I don't think there was ever a vision. I, 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 look, when you're doing something that you like doing, it just kind of carries you forward, right? And that's what I think happened with me. I just did, I was doing something that I liked. I was getting better at it. People were recognizing that I was, you know, good at it. Let's just say that. And the combination of recognition, reward, enjoyment made it, I mean, I suppose that there have been points along the way where I thought, huh, I wonder what it would be like to be an X or to be a Y, but kind of not really to be blunt about it. Like it wasn't, I mean, it's not something, it's not something that I ever regretted doing. And I liked going down the path. I also think you can't over plan for these things, you know, like you, you can, you can say, I'm going to be the editor of this, or I'm going to be the editor of that. And sometimes it works out, but you should also just, you know, you should also just kind of enjoy, try to enjoy the thing that you're doing and do it well and not, not sweat the details of what's going to happen next too much. If you do your job well and you're enjoying it, opportunities will arise and you'll do more interesting things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what sort of obstacles or hardships have you had to face on your path to where you are today? And then also, were there ever moments along the way where you actually second guessed the way you were going professionally? I don't think I second guessed at any point. Are there hardships? I mean, after getting fired from (laughs) my local newspaper when I was 16, now I was straight sailing from there. No. Look, I mean, you never make, you don't make that much money in this industry. And so I don't count that as a hardship. Obviously, you know, 
you you want you have to make a living and so i succeeded in making a living honestly i don't feel like i ever encountered something that was a truly difficult hardship in the course of my career i don't i don't i've been lucky so being a journalist and going into the field and reporting i'm sure you've been able to experience just some crazy things so what are some of the most memorable or impactful or just craziest experiences that you've had during your time as a journalist? Oh, boy. Yeah, look, the, the fun part is, is of this is like when it, when it goes well, you're, like I said before, you are, you're given the opportunity to see things and go places that otherwise you would never have done. And if you're, you know, you try to be creative about it and also sort of create these conditions. I don't know. I mean, man, if I had to make like a top 10 list, because I just like, I'd like, I just like the experiences of it. I like writing about it and telling people about it, but I also just like the sheer experience of it. You know, I lived in a Taliban madrasa for a month in Pakistan, you know, a school for Taliban fighters. I once took a, mafia hitman to Disney World to interview him on It's a Small World. I I went to a dolphin show in Havana with Fidel Castro. I, I don't know. I've spent, you know, flying around the world on Air Force One. I mean, it's great. I mean, if I think back on individual experiences, I consider myself very lucky. Because like I said, I have a, um, or I implied before, I have a low threshold of boredom. And so I'm looking for interesting things to interesting things to do, and that's 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 the motivator, if you will. I don't know. I'm sure I could think of a, a you know a dozen more things that were just like I can't believe you know that you want what you want in your life. I think to have an interesting life is to have moments when you're when you think, wow, I'm so lucky. I can't believe I get to see this. You know, I spent um, a couple of days last summer in India with the Dalai Lama, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I get to, I get to meet people and see things and learn things from them that other people don't get. So I, I consider those things really important, whether or not my work is, you know, help people in any way, that's a different subject that needs more humility and discussion. And also it's very, very, very hard to tell, but I, if you're focused on sort of like how to build an interesting career, you know, I would, I would say that, you know, where, what I've, what I've done so far has been very satisfying to me. Like I, I can, you know, and one part of the reason is, you know, just the sheer satisfaction of it. I like telling people about it. I like thinking about it. I like the, I like the achievement of, of getting people to tell me things or meeting people or going places and seeing things that other people haven't seen you know, it just, it just, it just makes for an interesting life. Yeah. I mean, wow. Uh, I mean, all, all those experiences that you just named, uh, I mean, they're insane. And, and keeping all those experiences in mind, I'm also interested to know what sort of lessons you've taken away from those experiences that you carry with you to this day. I think there's a good general lesson in some of those things. It's like, I mean, it applies definitely in journalism, but it applies in 
any aspect of your life, professional or personal, really, it's a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking that they don't deserve something or that they're not capable of doing something or they don't want to try to do something for fear that A, it would fail or B, that they would be rejected by whatever situation it is. And I think success comes from, I mean, to use sort of a sports analogy, a, a football analogy, success comes from being able to look down the field and see the openings before other people do. And knowing that you're the one who might as well carry the ball down the field, somebody else could, but why not you? And I mean, I'll give an example. It's, it's, you know, I decided a few years ago that I wanted to spend a lot of time with Barack Obama and understand how he thought about the world and how he made foreign policy. I was just my, my, one of my main interests. And, you know, there are quite a few journalists who could do that. I don't know, there's probably 20, 30, 40, 50 people in my field who could do that credibly. But, and somebody was going to go do it, I think. But I just decided that I'd be the one to go do it. Um, not waiting for an invitation. I mean, I mean, obviously, you have to convince the president to do it. But you have to just see the opportunity and then realize that you are just as qualified and just as worthy of the opportunity as anybody else. I mean, I'm sure this, this is a lesson that obviously applies in, in any business setting, any, any opportunistic setting. Like, you know, why, I'm sure that there are, you know, 30 people as smart as Steve Jobs in the world in the 70s and 80s who are circling the same set of issues that he was. But Steve Jobs decided to be Steve Jobs. He was the one who said, you know what, I'm going to completely reinvent the world. And he did it. And I'm sure there's somebody, you know, in Silicon Valley who even to this day thinks, I thought of the personal computer before he did, or I thought of X or Y or Z, but it doesn't matter. Like you didn't do it. So it's really just a matter of understanding that, you know, and there's a good way of, of this is the way you should, well, not you. This is the way that anyone, I think, should think about the way they should hold themselves in the world. I mean, this is a very American idea that, you know, you are not better than anyone, but no one is better than you. You know, and if you just have that attitude, you'll, you, can, you can achieve great things because you realize that no one is better than you. You know, you, you, you can just go do it. Somebody has to do it, and so, and so it should be you. And you could go through life being an a kind person or a nice person by, by not thinking that you're, that you yourself are better than anyone else, that your intrinsic worth is not greater than some other human being. I really do think that that's kind of like the American idea. And it has a lot of impact. If you follow that, it has a lot of impact in the way you talk to people and deal with people. And, and if you hold yourself to that, then you'll try new things because you realize that you don't have to wait for an invitation to another power structure, you can just make your own power structure. That makes sense? Yeah, totally, totally. Good, now go out and win, Alex. <laughs> okay, so if you had to give me the three qualities or characteristics that, Jeffrey, you think have led to your success as a journalist, what do you think they would be and why? Well, it's that, it's that thing we were just talking about. 
it's the it's the realization that why not ask or why not try it the corollary to that you can call that the second thing if you want is to not fear rejection the surest way to never get anything is never to try to get anything right and a lot of people kind of hunker down because they just don't want to be told no so it's better not to ask you know i get it and i also how do i put this it's interesting because like like there's this expression in any kind of professional line of endeavor line of work don't take it personally. Like somebody doesn't want to do business with you, don't take it personally. Somebody doesn't want to talk to you, don't take it personally. Somebody doesn't want to invest in you, don't take it personally. I say to people, no, take it personally. Whatever gets you angry. Like, like I, how am I supposed to take it? Like spiritually, theologically? No, you're rejecting me, which just makes me work harder. Like whatever motivates you to work harder. So I'm like saying, don't fear the rejection. Don't fear rejection, but hate rejection. Does that make sense? Like don't, like don't buy into the, don't buy into this that, you know, it's okay to be rejected. Just don't accept the rejection and, and keep fighting for what you want. But, but expect like most of life is going to be people telling you, no, you can't have this scholarship. No, you can't have that job, et cetera. So that's, that's, let's call that a second thing. You know, it just, you just have to, persistence is going to be so much of 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 how you achieve something in the world it's just most people will just give up eventually and if you're the last one who hasn't given up then then you've won i mean you know look there's some things that you can control for you know your basic intelligence analytic skills i mean you could train yourself for a lot of this stuff but you know some things some people are going to be more successful than others because they're more creative they're smarter they're more dynamic, they have more resilience, more persistence than others. But a lot of those things, if you're conscious of them, you could train yourself for them. Also, I'm really good looking and that helps. Yeah. Right? Am I right? No. Oh, also, you should always dress better than you think you should dress, especially when you're young. Like you never, you never go wrong by dressing better. People take you more seriously if you dress better, especially when you're young. And also when you get middle-aged and older and you think having stubble is cool and, and it comes in gray, this is for men, not for women, obviously. Don't think that. Like you, generally speaking, unless you're like George Clooney, like don't walk around with like, it just says like, you're too lazy to shave. Because I didn't shave this morning and I feel like, like a schlepper. <laughs> anyway, the point is, the point is there's a unisex point here, which is, which is, you know, shine, keep your shoes shined, keep yourself neat, be respectful of other people by dressing respectfully yourself and you'll get further in, in the world. I believe that. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Gucci and buy some uh some. I don't really think nice they go to clothes. Gucci. I didn't think go to Gucci. Said, you know, tuck your shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, go to Gucci if you need to. Are you making that much money on Skipper? Well, oh, I guess yeah. your your client base is like the boat owning international community. Yeah, 
yeah all no the, i'm all the big I mean, yachts i mean we've got sponsors flying back and forth like it's <laughs> it's crazy i mean yeah. I'm, it's yeah. really all really the, I'm, go go <laughs> stream to take to your yacht where you can right. for your own destiny yeah i got it yeah so jeffrey i think you're 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 undeniably a really big name in the world of journalism and just calm down <laughs> and obviously the atlantic is a huge publication and i think you have you know a lot of attention on you just from a journalism standpoint but also generally you know people look to the atlantic and and really look to you so with all that attention i'm sure that there are a lot of critics that come along with that so how do you deal with those people and what methods have you found to be most helpful to really block out that noise? I don't know. That noise is always going to be there. If you reach any level of notoriety or, you know, leadership and anything, it's always going to be there, especially because of social media. I don't know. I mean, you just develop a thick skin over time. You realize that most of the critics are not on the level or whatever they're criticizing about you realize that jealousy is a bigger factor in some people's lives than you otherwise might have imagined, which is kind of weird, but it's true. Like I said, persistence, just do your job, do the thing that you want to do and do it to the best of your ability and do, do the thing that you think is true. And if people don't like it, they don't like it, you know, but it, what, what's, you know, there are people who do things and there are people who try to tear down people who do things. You know, it's not that hard to, it's not that hard to block out the noise. So I think that journalism is different from other professions, just in the sense that it can very easily become part of one's life without even really trying. And I think one example of that could be me doing this podcast right now. I mean, this is an interview and, and, you know, it's a small form of journalism, but it still is a form of journalism. And in that sense... I think it's very vocational and very similar to business in that way. So my question is, what are some ways people who aren't journalists can train that journalistic muscle, which I think is so relevant to so many different things in life? And and are there ways to practice and get better at essentially doing this? You mean like using your... I mean, like what what's the muscle that you're talking about? The sort of inquisitive... Yeah, like being able to talk to someone, extract the information that you want, learn from that information, and then effectively communicate that information to someone else, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there probably are. You're probably right. I hadn't thought of this, but there are universal lessons here. One is, you know, obviously, don't be afraid to talk to people. Don't be afraid of people rejecting you if they don't want to talk to you. Just like move on. Treat everybody as equals. Treat everybody as 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 worthy of your attention. I mean, it's hard when you're busy and all the rest. But if you're always, if you're always, if you always try to be kind and attentive, I fail at this all the time. Most people do fail to some degree, even those who try to make it a practice. But if you try to be kind and treat people as equals, they will appreciate it. I'm sure this lesson holds true in non-journalism, but it's like sometimes the the people who are lower down on the hierarchy who will wind up being the most helpful to you and just signal to them, you should do this for your own, you should do this because it's the right thing to do. You shouldn't do it for instrumental reasons, but you know, you can, you can 
talk to people in a way that makes them feel valued by you and that creates a good dynamic between between people like and, and you know you have to be an active citizen i think it, you have to be an active citizen for the sake of the country but you also have to be an active citizen because it'll keep your brain alive you know and that means reading getting your hands on things to to read all the time listening to opposing viewpoints understanding where other people are coming from you, you know just, just just like like being a a sponge for information is is really important obviously for journalists you're paid to do that but i think it's i think it's very important if i think of something else i'll let you know but i mean that those two things strike me as as sort of obvious oh by the way not to be I mean, maybe this is sort of obvious, but the ability to write clearly and have people understand what you're writing is still of paramount importance if somebody's going to try to be successful. And so, and that that is just a you can get be a better writer until you're 100 years old, like and and there's no shortcut. It's just writing and writing and writing and writing and learning how to express yourself that way. You know, the taking what's in your head and putting it on paper on a screen is really hard as you know anybody in college knows this and if you become a superior writer superior than the norm you'll be very successful and so obviously journalism if we cannot communicate our ideas to people right if we can't keep their attention and make them interested in what we're doing and make them understand what we're saying then there's no point in any of it yeah so last question here or really two-part question As you know, this podcast is all about sharing stories that can inspire and really help to guide the younger generation to find their passion or calling and pursue and go after it. So again, two-part question. First part, what sort of advice would you give to high schoolers, college students? I mean, really anyone who hasn't found that passion and are still searching for it. I don't think there's, I mean, the world is a very interesting place. I don't think there's any reason in the world. There's no excuse not to be interested in some aspect of the world. I think people are kidding themselves when they say they're just bored. If you're bored, you're failing yourself. You know, I, I mean, if, if you're bored, then change your circumstance so you're not bored. Things are just too interesting. That's what I, I, I just think that very, very clearly. And you got to expose yourself to different, to different things and move yourself out of your comfort zone. I mean, that's why I mean, it's hard in a pandemic, obviously, but that's why travel is so important. You've got to be able to see new things. You, you know, you've just got to keep your mind trained to like absorb new experiences and new information and new ways of communication. I, 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 don't, I mean, it sounds a little gassy what I'm saying and, and sort of inexact, but first of all, don't accept boredom as your lot in life. If you just do that as a baseline, then change. Look, I understand you're in a boring job and you have to make money because you, you know, you want to pay for college. Okay. I get it. But you're, you're aiming toward an interesting thing if that's your thing. But you, you know, I don't have any tolerance for people who, you know, act in a kind of, you know, act with ennui or act with a kind of world weariness, like, Oh, the world, there's nothing to do in the world. I mean, first of all, there's always something to do in the world. You can make somebody else's life better. Right. Like we haven't reached the stage where everybody's life is great. So like, there's just no excuse to say you're bored or you're, or you're, or you're uninterested in the world, like go help somebody. And in the doing of that, you might find something interesting to do in your life. 
So I would just say, don't, you know, don't settle. Restlessness is a good thing. And, you know, people give up and they take the easy way out. And, you know, maybe for some people it's fine. They just want to like sit in a hammock or something like that. But yeah, you know, there's, there's too many interesting things in the world to, to explore and too many big questions that remain to, to be bored. So find the thing, keep searching in a very deliberate way until you find the thing that you, the thing that you should do in your, in your life is the thing that you, you know, when you're, when your brain is resting, when you're, when you're not deliberately trying to think about X, Y, or Z, you're in the supermarket and what's my shopping list or you're doing this and do the thing that you think about when you're not thinking like where your mind keeps coming back. That would be the, that's my sort of advice. And then second part of the question is, what advice would you give to those who have found their passion and know what they want to do with their life, but are hesitant and don't really know where to start? Look, I, you know what I would say? I, I would look back on my 20s and look back at people in their 20s and say this, that very often, and obviously some people are in unique family situations or they have unique financial pressures, and I totally get that. But in fact, when you're in the college years, post-college years, you're freer than you think. Like you generally speaking, don't have kids. You're generally speaking, not married. You generally speaking, don't have a mortgage. Maybe you have college loans and that's a bear of a problem, but you're actually freer to experiment than you think. And so I know a lot of people who didn't quote unquote get started, you know, until their thirties and they're doing fine. And they had a lot of interesting experiences in their twenties, you know, and, and that worked and that, and that worked for them. So don't think of yourself. I mean, here's the thing. When you're in your 40s and 50s, you'll understand what uh, responsibility is. If you go down a certain path, have a family and all the rest. And then, you know, then you are tied to a place, to a community, to a set of responsibilities around your family, et cetera. But in your 20s, it's like just, you, you know, you can eat ramen and you could travel cheap. And, you know, don't, don't not do something because you think you have more responsibilities than you actually have. That's what I would say. Well, Jeffrey, those are all the questions I have for today. Thank you so, so much for doing this. I really can't thank you enough. I I know you've got a super busy schedule. And so thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, great. No, this is good. I'm glad you're asking these questions. And I hope like people your age listen to this because you might get some good advice. I don't think I asked for enough advice when I was young also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, everyone, that was Jeffrey Goldberg, Editor-in-Chief of The Atlantic. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And again, make sure to follow us on Instagram at skipper.podcast for updates on the show and more information on our guests. Thanks for listening.